What's up? My name is Lucas, and thanks for checking out the GT Young Adults podcast. We're a community from GT Church in Victoria, BC. We love Jesus, have a passion to learn, grow, and live like Him, and man, we have a ton of fun doing it. All of the messages and conversations you find here will point you to His truth and His hope. So lean into whatever God wants to speak to you today. Enjoy what you're about to hear, and thanks so much for listening. I like it. It's always in my head. It's good. I love it. Hey, welcome to the Six. So glad you're here. My name is Lucas, and me and my wife get to pastor this community of, of young adults primarily. If you're not a young adult, but you've come, you're welcome here. I just want you to know that. You absolutely are welcome here. Um, and we just target that younger age because we know it's been a hard go for a little while, and we just feel like it's important. Um, I just want you to know, like, you're a part of a church. If you've been coming kind of like, I don't know, maybe semi-regularly or just like here and there, you're just trying it out, you're a part of a church that really wants to do everything they can to help love and encourage the next generation. And that's us, right? Like, that's me even, I know, that's even me, right? Like, that's us, right? And that's, that's, what we're talk, that's, that's what we're talking about. Like, I love that Annie and Lisa were like, you know what, Sunday nights, which, by the way, this used to be a fairly, like, large gathering at the, at the, at the time, has been like, no, 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 the young adults need it more. And Pastor Lisa said it last week, and as I just look around and just see some faces, I'm like, yeah, this is, this is really key. This is really important. So I'm glad you're here. Welcome here. I love you guys. Like, I, I was praying for you today. Like, it's my heart that you would know God on a deeper level. And so I hope you're ready to get into it, have some fun tonight. Uh, it's going to be good. Um, if you're brand, brand new, my name is Lucas. And again, I'm just really excited you're here. We're in week number seven of a series called Heaven on Earth, where we're just going through Jesus' greatest words of all time, his manifesto, if you will, his, his, not just like one sermon, but like this beautiful, like packed, loving words where Jesus really kind of sets into motion what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. And, and he comes and he speaks and it's this long sermon and some, again, some scholars believe it wasn't just one sermon he did one time, but things he said all the time. And so today we find ourselves in what I would say is the scripture that you flip past in your Bible, okay? It's like when this Bible shows up as a verse of the day, you skip that day. You know what I'm saying? Like this is one of those where you're like, I don't understand and I'm not going to even pretend to. Like I don't want to. And so lucky me, I picked that one and, and Andy gave it to me and he happens to be away. So I preached it all day, so... So it happens when you're the new guy. Okay, and so we're going to dive into it, though. I'm not scared. Are you scared? I'm not scared. We're going we're gonna to go after it. It's going to be good. Um, but I understand with this chunk of scripture, they're just going to, like, for some of you, you're going to hear, like, two words, and you'll be like, huh, what? What does that mean? Is he going to probably explain it? We will. We'll get through all of it. But I just, like, I want you to know, I'm going to preface this whole thing, okay? We're talking about false prophets and false teachers. Okay, that's the chunk of scripture that we're going to talk about tonight. And I don't want you to get worried. This isn't about alarming anyone. This isn't about um, creating an action plan to expose people. That's ridiculous. Um, I, but I do understand kind of the irony that I find myself in, that a pastor wants to teach on false teaching. And so some of you who are maybe skeptics in the room or some of you who are just kind of like always questioning things, you're like, how can I trust you teaching on false teaching if I know that you, no, no, you're a teacher, false teacher, huh? And you're like ready to pounce on me and I'm just going to say, cool your engines, chief, okay? Relax, bud. You know what I'm saying? You know those terms? Guys, you know those terms. When you get bud, you're like, 
hate that term. Like, just everyone calm down. That's what I'm trying to say. I want everyone just to calm down, to take a moment. I understand the irony that I find myself in. Maybe you find yourself in that moment where you're telling your friends you need to get out more, but really you're just sitting back watching Netflix, eating, you know, eating takeout for the third time that week. Like, we all find ourselves in these hard moments, these tensions, and I get it. I really do. Like, I mean it. It's not lost on me. And so I take it with the utmost seriousness. I really do. I have been looking through and reading and listening to all sorts of things on this. And it's my heart that you would not be alarmed today or worried or concerned. Because even Jesus, let me be honest, when he talks about false teachers, okay, this whole chunk of scripture, the essence of it, it really is a simple warning to help you, to help me follow, Jesus, follow him and nobody else. That's really what he's getting at. He's like, listen, I just want you to understand that people are going to come and you're going to say things. They're going to try and look like me. They're going to try and talk like me. But hear me when I say, I want to just give you a simple warning of concern to help you, help me, help believers follow Jesus and nobody else. You following me so far? Like, that's all this is. So I don't want us to get too worried here. I don't want us to get too concerned. That's what he's talking about. With that in mind, let's dive into it. Matthew 7, verse 15. I think it's page 788 in that blue Bible in front of you if you want to actually hold one. Here we go. You ready? Are you ready? Still terrible. We'll keep working on it. Watch out for false prophets. That's what he says. First verse. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Another version says ravenous wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't, cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Aren't you glad you came to church tonight? <laughs> Be aware. Watch out. Um, be mindful, be cautious. That's what Jesus is saying here. I want to make sure we all understand, because depending on where you find yourself, whether you're frustrated with the, the cultural moment or not, you, you may think it's your duty as a believer to then begin to point out false teaching. I've seen a lot of this. It's, to, to be honest, I don't see as much in this demographic, and maybe the older one, but who knows that, why that is. But we often assume it's our duty, it's our job to call out, to start an Instagram page, to, to start a YouTube channel that would call out false teachers. But that's not what Jesus says. He just says, watch out. He said, again, in Matthew 24, he'll reference, be careful. In Acts 20, he says, watch your flock, to be careful. He's not assuming, he's not asking you to, to, there's not an action plan with this. He's just saying, simply be careful. And I think we get really, or sometimes we can be really quick to start to point the finger and to call out and to judge and to talk about preachers with sneakers or whatever it is, okay? No, I'm serious. I, I hate that channel. I hate it so much. Not, like, I, also, I just don't know anything about sneakers, so I don't even understand it. I'm just like, hey, what for what? Like, I don't get it. Now, some of you are like total sneaker people in here. That's awesome. Good for you. No judgment whatsoever. I'm just saying, like, it's, it's so interesting to me that we think it's like our duty to start something and start to point at it. Did we not just read, like, pray for those who persecute you? Love your enemies? Like, did we not just go through all of this? Remember the context of this whole sermon. He says, watch out. You, take heed. Watch out. Be careful. That's all he's saying. Oh, it's so, and I really mean this all my heart. I think it's truthfully not helpful in our culture and unbiblical to just start an account or to post something on TikTok about how someone did something to you. 
Matthew 18, Jesus is so clear on conflict resolution. We've completely forgotten it. Be aware, be cautious, be mindful. And then this term for false prophets, this pseudo-prophetess, like fake, phony, pretender, imposter. I love that word phony. Like I read it in like multiple comments. I don't know why. It's like an old school burn. You phony. It's like, I don't know why. I just thought it was so funny. It's like, I don't know. It's just like, you know, like a half, a fake, a, um, a, a half prophet, a fake prophet, if you will. And in this culture, in this time for Jesus, this was super common. Like you would just be going out, you'd be getting groceries and, and someone would show up and they'd have their wagon and they'd have their donkey and you'd be like, everyone come over here. It's kind of like Aladdin, like a little bit. Like you'd see a little bit of that, like, like all the thing and the smoke and people would be drawn in and then they begin to share about how they had a message from Jesus or God or a God or something like that. So this was, this was common for, for them to see someone roll into town with a message or to be a messenger from God. So they understood the context. This wouldn't have been like, oh, he's teaching on false prophets. What does that actually mean? Like none of that would have been the case. And for us, you guys, like in our culture, in our context, it's not any less, there's not any less men or women coming or claiming to be divinely inspired. The messaging is just different. We read, we read in, in, in books or audiobooks. We listen to it on podcasts or on YouTube channels. We see it on Instagram posts or whatever. The messaging is different, but there is false teaching and teaching out there for you to see, and you are seeing it. You are taking it in. It's happening. And then Jesus says something that I would say is somewhat alarming. He says, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. What you see on the outside may look normal, good, regular, fine, but on the inside, it's different. It's not what you think it is. I'll never remember them. Uh, I'll never forget the moment. I was, we went to Crimea. We, we were partnering with a, a, a church in Crimea. I think we might still be. And, and I went to Crimea like I don't know, seven or eight years ago. And um, like I'm, I'm a very picky eater, or so I'm being told by my wife constantly. Like I, I don't. Anyone here just not enjoy leftovers? Like it's just. No, just me? Good to know. Good to know. Oh, wait, you're just young adults, and you don't participate in anything. Whatever. Anyone else, like, blame on leftovers? No one? Literally, all of you love leftovers? You too. There is $1,000 for both of you later. I'm just kidding. They're just doing that to be nice. I, I don't know what it is. Like, I just don't love reheating old food. Weird. I don't know. Like, when you say, like, leftovers isn't good. Like, cold pizza in the morning? Oh, that's the worst. Cold pizza anytime is the worst. I don't know. It's just, oh, now I'm getting some heat. Okay, I go. Okay, okay. I don't know. There's something about it. And I just, I'm a picky eater. I'm sorry. Blame my parents. It's not my fault. It is, it's how God made me. Whatever. Like, and I remember, like, we'd come down each morning in Crimea, and these lovely ladies would make us breakfast. And every morning, it was unique. It was, it was very Ukrainian sort of dish. I remember one time, I thought it was cereal, but it was like, I think it was barley maybe you guys remember it was barley and like condensed milk and like, <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah no I was talking it's not that good like it was just you know obviously I'm from a different culture and so I have different foods I wanted some shreddies I don't know shreddies anyone I just so old shreddies with honey very good you know <laughs> lucky charms lucky charms in the house no I haven't had that in years just kidding uh and so I remember one morning coming downstairs this is a long was starting way too long I remember coming down one time, and just being so hungry. Like, I wasn't eating because I'm such a picky eater. I lived off of, like, Snickers bars and orange pop for, like, seven days. And, and they love two things in Crimea. They love borscht, of course. Anyone else love borscht? Right. No, it's not that good. And they love dill. Dill's the worst. Dill is, like, my least favorite thing ever. Spice, whatever it is. 
It's a herb, whatever. I forgot that this morning too. Like it's, it's, the, it's so gross. It doesn't taste good. I don't know why people put it on anything ever. Like it's so yuck, ew. I hate it. And they put it on everything. They put, they just sprinkle it. Like it's just on the side of the plate for you just to eat like regular. It's just always there. I'm serious, right? Am I wrong? Laura, you came. It was everywhere. They just would sprinkle some on your eye. No, I'm just kidding. Like it was just, I couldn't believe how much dill there was. It was just driving me crazy. And so I come down, I'm so hungry. And one morning friends, I see a crepe. I see a crepe with whipped cream and I'm like, are you, this is how I know Jesus is real. He's putting crepes in front of me. I was so excited. I'm thinking Nutella's in there. I'm thinking, I don't know why. I don't know. I'm just delirious or something. And you know, when you're so hungry, you don't think, you don't inspect, you just cut, you just scoop and you just eat. And what I thought was a delicious strawberry crepe turned out to in fact be a beef burrito with dill and sour cream. (laughs) Oh man, wake up call wake up call. And it was so funny. I remember that moment I put in my mouth and I think people expected like knowing that I, I had already been passing my food around and they were just like looking at me waiting. And I just, I couldn't even be polite. Like I was just everywhere. I've since grown up and now I eat whatever's in front of me. What, what I'm trying to get at is what, what looked delicious and crepe like turned out to be beef burrito at seven in the morning. Like, it just was not what it looked from the outside. It looked like one thing. And on the inside, it was very different. I feel like some of you are like, I'm going to so make a beef burrito tomorrow for breakfast. Like, you are, you are a bunch of weirdos. For Christians, for Christ, if you have a Christian background, maybe you grew up in the, in, the, in the church some bit, and maybe not. Maybe you're just here tonight seeking and looking for some answers. I think when it comes to this idea of like what looks like on the outside and the inside, it's hard to tell, especially for us in the Christian context, because of our Christian language. So much of it sounds similar, sounds the same. We may, something may sound like, oh, that's good, that's a good word, or that's, that, that makes sense, or I'm going to repost that, when in fact, it's not sound doctrine, it's not smart theology, and it actually puts on us, on a, excuse me, it puts us on a destructive path. I think for me, and guys, I've been preaching this a lot to you, so I don't want to hit this too hard, but the one main thing that I continue to hear again and again and see posted again and again and hear preached sometimes again and again is this idea of having grace for yourself. And I get, again, I understand the, the heart behind that statement. It's about, it's about not being so difficult on yourself. It's not increasing the shame on your heart. It's about like taking it easy and not being your own worst critic. I understand that. But friends, we don't have enough grace in us for ourselves. That's, like, that's exactly what Jesus says and speaks over Paul. He says, you don't have what it takes. My grace is sufficient for you. In your weakness, I am made strong. Like, you need a savior. We sang a song today that said, I needed rescue. I needed a savior. Like, that's the whole point. And we think that we can actually have enough grace for ourselves that actually puts us on this path thinking like, I can, I can just get through it. I can be my own savior. And so we sin, we feel, we, honestly, we feel in our heart like a heaviness, a weight. And then we should go, you know what? Just gotta have grace for myself. Just gotta forgive myself. Just love myself. Thank you, Justin Bieber. I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna keep pushing. I'm fine. And we keep pushing and we keep going until guess what? We're not fine. We're not okay. And we're desperate and we're hurting and we're empty because we tried to capture and put grace for ourselves but friends we don't have what it takes we need the grace of Jesus Christ and his mercy triumphs over any judgment that you may put on yourself his love his grace covers a multitude of sins friends that's the good news that's the whole point of this Jesus thing you understand what I'm saying that he loves you despite 
the sin. And for us, we just continue to think that we can fix ourselves. We can't, we can't. So this is a really great example of, ah, have grace for yourself. Ah, grace, I hear that term, the language. It all sounds accurate, it all sounds right. And it's, no, 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 hold on. We're missing something. Let's take a step back. Let's be aware. That's what he means by outwardly, it looks normal, but inwardly there's something about it that isn't quite right. I heard it said this way. This is a quote from, a, from an article. It says, a false prophet has the same vocabulary, but a different dictionary. That's important for you to know. That's really good. Like, that's, I don't know who, I can't remember exactly. I should have written it down, but she was saying like, this is really important. If you're looking at this stuff, like the vocabulary may look the same, but the de- definition and how we actually define terms, very different. Very different. It may sound right, it may look right, it may feel right, but deep down, something's not right. Verse 16, by the fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. What's he saying here? What's, what's the point? What does he mean? He's saying, listen, you are who you are. You are what you are. You are what you're planted in. You, where your roots are will determine what you produce. It's just a metaphor for character. It's a metaphor for what comes out in our life. Okay, and he uses metaphors like this often. What's difficult, difficult about this chunk of scripture, I think, is not necessarily the idea of fruit and us producing good or bad fruit in the tree. Like, that makes sense. We get that. It's that he doesn't define what good is. Friends, he doesn't define what good or bad fruit is. He doesn't give us a long list of like, here's all the bad things you don't want to do. And here's all the good things that you should always do. And just go and do these and don't do these. Amen. End sermon. He doesn't do that. So one preacher says that you should be rich and affluent and wealthy, and that's the good life. And then one person says, you know what? You should sell all of your possessions and give it to the poor, and that's the good life. And you're thinking, one sounds a little bit better, but one sounds maybe a little more accurate, but maybe it's in somewhere in the middle. What do I do? What is good? Which one is right? Who defines what is good, what is right, what is true? Who, who gets to decide that? Jesus defines it. He declares it. He shows it. He teaches it. As a Christian, if you're a Christian in here, we serve a God who gives us a moral law, a moral identity. He helps you to know what is good and right. From the very start, Genesis 3, you're going to see good and you're going to see evil. You're going to see love and you're going to see hate. You're going to see right and you're going to see wrong. And he allows, he actually puts himself in us so that we can understand these things. We have the spirit to help guide us, to discern, to direct us. If you're not a Christian in here, this is an interesting thought for you. If you're a skeptic, if you're considering, if you're questioning, deconstructing, who defines what is good for you? Who gets to define good for you? Well, I, I do. It's my choice. It's my life. I define, then it's completely subjective. Well, no, no, no. I, have, I know what's right and what's wrong. Well, who put that in you? If we're going to agree that there is good, then we have to agree that there is also evil. If we're going to agree that there's good, there's good things, there's true things, there's right things, there's bad things, there's hateful things, there must be some sort of moral law that helps us determine those two things. And it was the late great theologian who said that there must be a moral law giver who helps us understand what is right and what is wrong. This is a big question. And again, for yourself, if you're not a Christian here, you have to wrestle with that. Morality is not something you can just flow by. And the thing I'm trying to get at here is that there is a God who loves you. There's a God who sees you, who wants to help you and help discern for you what is right and what is wrong. And it actually points to a creator who loves you and sees you. 
this very essence that you feel helps, you, helps us understand that, man, there, there is intelligent design. There is a creator who sees you and loves you and that the naturalistic worldview falls very short when it comes to real life. If you're ever uncertain, what is right, what is wrong, get to the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read for yourself. Then ask a pastor or a friend that you trust, discuss and debate, have conversation. Let's keep reading. Verse 21, it's another big chunk. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, guys, actually, hold on. I'm not giving this enough. We're going to read a very heavy chunk of scripture, okay? It's big. It is weighty. If you are not a Christian here, this may seem heavy. If you are a Christian in here, I think it actually will feel heavier. And I just want you to understand that and grasp that in this moment. Can we do that? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, he's referencing judgment day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly. Remember, this is Jesus talking. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And that is why we typically scritch, excuse me, flip through. Scritch? What word is scritch, Jackson? Thanks for that. That's usually why we flip through and scratch this and don't talk about it. Scratch, that's awesome. That's got to be a new thing. I'm going to bring that word back. It's coming back. It never came back. I don't know. Don't, I don't know. Don't judge me. I never knew you away from me. Is this the same Jesus we sing about who's all loving? I never knew you away from me. Isn't this the Jesus that says he chases after me? I never knew you away from me. Eugene Peterson says it like this. He's the one who wrote the message. This is a commentary, a paraphrase. Knowing the correct password, saying master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience. Doing what my father wills. I can see it now at the final judgment, judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preached the message. We bashed the demons. Our super spiritual projects had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. It's a little bit heavy, Eugene. I remember reading that this week, and honestly, I was like, just taken back. Master, we preached the message. Man, I was just hit. I was struck. And I understand that this feels heavy and weighty, but I think there's a few pieces in here that if we, if we just focus in that, I don't know, if we just focus in on that prophesy or this or that, we're going to miss the point of this scripture. There's a lot of debate that this scripture is all about like works and salvation coming together, and that would be a misuse of the scripture. Let's look again what he says. Let's key in on what he's trying to say. He actually gives us some answers. Friends, remember what Jesus says. He says that my yoke is light. My burden is not heavy. He's not trying to burden you with scripture here. He's trying to actually show you what he means. Not everyone will enter, but... Praise God for the buts in the Bible. I'm serious. So whenever you see a but, that's a good thing. He's about to show you something really important. The ones who do the will of my Father in heaven. Well, that's a good, that's a good sign. He's saying, listen, the ones who do my will, yeah, yeah trust me, I, I know them. That's good. What, what is the will of my Father? That's like the big question we're always asking. Let's jump to John 6, verse 40. For my Father's will is, very simply put, 
Like he's giving us the answer right here. Are you following me? Let's do this. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son believes in him shall have eternal life. Everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up to the last day. The Father's will, what does it actually mean? It means two things. This is really, really simple. I mean it. That everyone who looks to Jesus and that everyone believes in Jesus. That's it. That's what He's asking. That's what, when He said, whenever He references the will of my Father, He's asking you to think about this. He's saying, hey, look to me, my teachings on how to live your life, follow my direction as I've given you, laid out direction. And secondly, believe in me, have a relationship with me, follow me with all of your heart for a relationship now and life to the full now and life everlasting. That's it. We complicate this so much. Wasn't the will I have to do with like my career and the cause? No, no, no. The will of the father is that you would look to Jesus and believe in Jesus. That's it. That's what he's asking. That's his hope. That's what he's asking you to do. This chunk of scripture, again, is not about salvation or miracles or signs and wonders. And again, there's so much debate around it. It's not what it's about. It's about something deeper here. Jesus is pointing at the bigger deal. Friends, the whole sermon, this whole sermon, Sermon on the Mount, is about what? It's about your heart. It's about motivation. It's about your intention. It's about what's actually going on in here. The whole time, he's been referencing your motivations, your intentionality, not just what you do, but why you're doing it. That's the whole point. It's because Jesus cares about you, your heart. He cares. He wants to be your motivation. His love for you, your love for him. There's a bond, a relationship that drives us. He's saying, it doesn't really matter what you do. Like it does, we're gonna get to that. But first, it doesn't matter what you do if you first don't know me. And the funny thing is like, we may know God, but the question we have to ask ourselves is, does God know us? Here's what I mean by that. We may come to church. You ticked it off. Good job, guys. March 20th. Boom. Nailed it. You may tithe a little bit. You may really structure that into your giving. Maybe you served this morning or at a different campus. Or you're serving tonight. We feel like we know God because we have the head knowledge of God. Because we do things for God. And Jesus is actually declaring something very, very it's a profound statement. He's saying, I don't, I never knew you. Like, read that again. Then I will tell them plainly these four words. I never knew you. You may know God, but the question we have to ask ourselves is, does God know me? This word know, gnosko, it's this Greek word for this head knowledge. Sorry, it's not describing this head knowledge. It's referencing this heart relationship. It's referencing something deeper, more profound. Actually, in some, some scriptures, some writings, it's kind of intertwined. Once in a while, they'll use like part of the word referencing sexual intimacy because there's a, there's a heart experiential knowing, understanding, deep heart relationship. It's not just about head knowledge. It's something completely different. In John's gospel, he says, to, this is, when he uses this word, gnosko, to know, it's to come and know his divine messianic dignity. You see, the depth of this word travels, it's deep, it matters. There's an invitation. Young adults, there's an invitation with this word to know, to come and know that Jesus is good and true, that he loves you and sees you, to know God that he may know you. As I was finishing my prep this week, this word idea of knowing was like very compelling to me. 
it just like, it just sat on me for a little while. Like I was done, wrapped it up, put it away. And I just was reading through the verses again and just, I never knew you. I never knew you. It just like continued to ring my heart, not in a negative way, not in a way that made me feel like condemnation or, or sin. Like it was just this idea of knowing heart of every single person here. Can I have just like the full attention of the room? Just hear me for a second. The heart of every person here, in every balcony seat, those who are serving in the media booth, is to be completely and utterly known. That's it. We all want it. We all want to be fully and understood, to be able to be completely vulnerable and seen and loved and affirmed. To have every single part of us, every secret, every good thing, every bad thing exposed, and yet the person saying, I want all of it. I see you, I want all of it. I'm all in, yes, this is a relation, yes, absolutely. That's what we want. That's what songs are written about. That's what the greatest movies talk about. It's to do life together, being seen, not running off on your own. I'm so concerned with the pandemic of loneliness in our culture. I am. I was reading a bunch of studies this week. I always do this and then I get, honestly, like, I'm too frustrated to read them. Over 70% of Gen Z feels, always feels alone. That's, the, that's what they ticked off. Always feel alone. 73%. 71% of millennials feel lonely on a weekly basis. The numbers actually aren't good for like boomers and older. I was reading some stats to 65 and up and I was like, man, this is not good. It's to the point where 45 and up are heavily, heavily medicated with anxiety and depression because of the loneliness they feel. Man. My grandpa used to always say this and I think it rings true tonight. He used to always say, knowing Psalm 23 doesn't mean you know the shepherd. I'm trying to help you understand that if we continue just to push each other away, if we continue to keep God just at a distance, enough that I can kind of be a part of it and, and I can come to church enough, that's kind of the relationship we often have with God. I'm in it, I'm around it, but I'm not engaged. I'm not invited in. I'm not come and know. Friends, it's gonna be a difficult go for us. And I'm concerned even my own heart and our, like for this community that's gonna be like, I didn't know you, but I served once in a while. Yeah, but you never let me in. You never let me see all of it. You never sat down and prayed that prayer that said, God, search me and know me. Test every anxious thought in my heart. Like, that's what the psalmist says. And that's my heart for us, that we would have that type of relationship. This is less about false prophets and more about, listen, don't forget what I'm trying to say. They're going to come and say, do this and do that. And all you have to do is prophesy here and prophesy that. But I will literally have to say to you, it will break his heart that I never actually knew you. I don't want that to happen. I just, I don't want that to happen. Man, we're so connected on our phones. And you guys know the stats. Like the stats get really bad the more, the more engaged you are on social media. We're so connected and yet we're honestly so alone. I sat after the morning services talking to two other guys. Both of us talking about how like, one guy was it was clear, it was like heavy burden. He's like, there's just like, I cannot connect with people in this city. It just feels like there's walls up. 
and I'm not like we can blame COVID, we can all these things, but man, like there's you're sitting beside people right now, and someone maybe you came with just feels utterly lonely. There's a level of human connection and spiritual connection that we both need. We want to be known, even introverts in here. We want to be known. You want to be known. As I wrap up here, I think there's some practical steps from the scripture. I do. I think we need to be aware of false prophets, but not afraid. It's a good thought. Like, honestly, be aware, but not afraid. There's good churches, there's good pastors, there's good community members, there's good small group leaders who teach and preach good news. The love of Jesus. Find them, be around them. Be, be aware, but not afraid. Don't be afraid. For a season, I would encourage you, this is just a practical thought. Maybe you need to put away the podcasts. Maybe you need to put away the books. I remember I said this this morning, Pastor Ron, who used to be the senior pastor, when he retired, he invited a, bu- a bunch of us in his room and just gave us all these books. And it was awesome. I was like, oh. And I went after all these like really cool theologians who I still don't understand. And it's really like G.K. Chesterton. I want F.W. Borum. I want Tim Keller. Give me all the books, books, books. And for a long stretch, I just was reading books. And I was like, I'm going to be the best theologian ever. I'm going to be, the, I'm going to know this stuff. And honestly, like, I didn't even realize that I had completely stopped reading the Word of God. I didn't realize. So I just had to take a break where I just was like, no more books. Just gonna read the book of John. And then I fell in love with the book of John. And I fell in love with the Gospels. And and I became someone who just loves the Bible. And I would encourage you, maybe for you, for the rest of the month, maybe just take 10 days, 11 days, whatever. Take 11 days and just just read the Bible. Put away the podcast for 10 days. They'll be back there. They'll have some new episodes when you come back. It's great. Just maybe get into the Gospels. Just pray. But finally, it's this. Because any step you take tonight, it's to seek, seek to know Jesus and let him know you. Please. Please. If you're feeling distant, he hasn't given up on you. If you're feeling like you have put a distance for whatever reason, he's not done with you. We sang that tonight. Maybe we can sing that again. He's not done with you. He's doing a new thing. He's sharing his heart right now with you. You're probably sensing it. Seek to know Jesus. But let him seek you. Would you stand to your feet? I've shared this throughout the day. It's my third sermon of the day in I, I continue to think about this one thing that wasn't in my notes, but I kept saying it, and so I wanted to share it with you. For those who were here a while back, Pastor Andy and I had a little conversation up here about Philippians 3, and, and I just noticed in our lead pastor, Andy, that there is like this deep hunger for him to know Christ. And it's interesting, like, every time he talks about it, every time he brings up knowing Jesus more than anything else, he just begins to cry. Like, he just can't help it. Like, it's just, it's kind of funny. But it's not funny. It's, he just had a granddaughter. Leave him alone. Like, he's a lot of emotion, you know. But I see it in him. Because he true, like, you know when you see someone who says they love Jesus more than anything? And you're like, well, you haven't had tacos, clearly. Like, or something. Like, you, you begin to make up, you do. You begin to think about all the things, right, that you love. And you're like, I don't, I don't know if I have that same love, that same no, that same together. Lately, something has switched. And I see Pastor Andy. 
when he talks about knowing Jesus and the tears begin to come and he begins to quote Philippians 3 that knowing Christ, like I consider everything else a loss. It's all garbage in comparison, comparison to knowing Christ Jesus. And it just wells up inside of him and it begins to well up inside of me because there is a real honest hunger to know Jesus in such a way that he knows you in such a way. Like there's such a bond, there's such a relationship formed and that's all I want for us tonight. That we would stop being so distant and so like, I don't know if I want this, I'm not sure what I'm feeling and to actually begin to loosen up and open up in our worship, in our preaching, in our talking, in our conversations that we would come to Jesus saying, God, I just, I want you to know me. We have to become a little bit more action on this. God, know me. I'm sharing everything, God. You see everything. I'm not holding back anymore. We have to have that posture. That's what he wants from us. That's what he wants from you. Because he's not done with you. Are you hearing me tonight? He's not done with you. Let me pray. God, I just pray right now in Jesus' name that we would, man, we would hunger to know you, Lord. That we would hunger to know you, that we would have a hunger for you to know us. God, I pray for the person who keeps going to you in prayer and for some reason keeps holding back as if they can hold something back from you, God. They, they continue to not want to talk. They continue to feel spiritually frustrated and spiritually concerned or even like beginning to just shrug things off. I pray in Jesus' name that we would be a group of people who seek to know and understand you from the heart, Lord. That before we're pointing out anything else we see wrong in the world, we're coming to you, Jesus, saying, God, know me, search me, see me, understand me. God, I want to search you. I want to know you. I want to understand you. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would not be afraid of the different teachings, that we would not hide away, but God, that we would come running to you. God, I pray for the person who is lonely in here, like truly at, at their ends, at their end, where they just feel alone and in despair. For those who feel like they've been literally hanging on by a thread for the last couple of years, in Jesus' name, I pray they would know that there is a God who loves them, who sees them, who wants to honestly bring such a relationship to them that they would never feel alone again. God, I pray that they would have community come around them. I pray tonight they'd meet someone new. I pray they'd step out and seek something and seek community in a way that was true of human connection. God, I pray in Jesus' name that the loneliness pandemic would begin to drop off and fall and that community and togetherness and unity would rise up in this community, in this church, in this city. God, that we would not be a city known for being like clicky or, or whatever it is, or hard-pressed, but we would be a community that's known for, for welcoming people in, for having open arms, saying, come in. Yes, we want to see you, want to know you. God, I pray against the loneliness. I pray for more community and togetherness. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Like your word says, Lord, see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me and us in the way of everlasting. God, I pray we be bold tonight. We take a step towards you. Do something new in our hearts, God. You're not done with us. In Jesus' name, amen.